0: Welcome to Farm. I'm your host, John Bazar. I'm an associate professor of pharmacy practice and the supporting sponsor of Farm, the Bill Gantt College of Pharmacy. Uh, we're going to try and keep this short this week because by the time you're listening to this podcast, there's a good chance that ASCO 2020, the virtual edition, is already underway. Uh, starts tomorrow on, on May 29th and runs through the weekend. So I'm going to try and keep this short, anticipating a longer pod next week. With uh, updates uh, from ASCO. So let's get right to it. On May 22nd, the FDA approved Brigatinib, which had previously been approved in the second line setting for ALK rearranged metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. This is an approval in the first line setting. Uh, brigatinib is um, I missed this. I, I, we did the brigatinib pod when it was first approved uh, a year and a half ago or so. Uh, the brand name here is a lung brig. Brig, like. A, ALK, LUN, Lung Cancer, Brig, Brigatinib. So not a clever name, but one that's easy to remember what it's for. It's for ALK positive lung cancer. It's Brigatinib. Now, this this approval is based on the ALTA 1L, like first line, 1L. This, this is great. It's very simple. Let's keep things simple in such a complicated world, right? Uh, this is uh, approvals based on the ALTA 1L study, which was brigatinib versus crizotinib in the first-line setting. Medium PFS uh, was 24 months with brigatinib versus 11 months with crizotinib. That's a hazard ratio of 0.49 with a pretty uh, decent, decently narrow confidence interval 0.35 to 0.68, if I can read my writing correctly. It's uh, a pretty wide uh, you know, improvement in, uh, in median progression-free survival. Now, there is uh, kind of an already established preferred therapy for first-line treatment of, of ALK-rearranged non-small cell lung cancer. That's electinib, which was also compared to crizotinib in the first-line study. And the median PFS values for that study are very similar, 25.7 versus 10.4, hazard ratio of 0.53. So if we're just rounding here, we've got 24 or 25 months than 11 and 10 months, and a hazard ratio of 0.5 if we're rounding. So you're never supposed to make cross trial comparisons, but until elected is compared to uh, brigatinib in the first-line setting, that's all that we have. Um, so they appear to be as similar. So uh, you know, if somebody said, which drug should I use for this patient, one of my docs asked me that, uh, I would look at the drug interaction potential, the side effect profile, and how that matches up with the patient, you know, the whole individualized care thing. Uh, and on another note, I saw an unsubstantiated Twitter rumor uh, that electinib is going to be compared to uh, Brigatinib. Uh, there's no confirmation I could find that on clinicaltrials.gov or um, uh, the reputable website, website Google. Okay, moving on Uh, to May 26th. Now, this was hard when this approval came out because I dedicated the opener of last week's podcast to, you know, chemotherapy-free treatment of metastatic non-small cell lung cancer, just using immunotherapy up front. And I should have known about this study, which is Checkmate 9 LA, because the abstracts have been up on the ASCO um, meeting site for about a month. Uh, I would anticipate it's going to be one of the big news stories to come out of ASCO this weekend. So hopefully we'll have some more information next week about this uh, if we need to. But it was FDA approved on May 26, and this is nivolumab plus epilimumab plus two cycles of chemo for the first-line treatment of metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. Obviously, patients that don't have an EGFR or ALK uh, mutation. Um, now, the dosing here is a little bit different, and the patient population a little bit different than the Nevo-Ipi combination we talked about last week for first-line treatment of metastatic non-small cell lung cancer. Last week, we're talking about pdl one positive patients, 1% or more, and that Nevo dose uh, was every two weeks, uh, and Ipi was at 1 mg per kg uh, every six weeks. So this dosing is nivolumab 360 milligrams Q3 weeks. It's the same 120 milligram per week average. IPI one mg per kg every six weeks. So, so the same IPI dose that they used uh, in Checkmate 227, which I covered last week, plus two cycles of chemo, just two cycles of chemo. okay. Uh, and in the immunotherapy, it could continue for two years. And if immunotherapy had to be stopped due to an immune-related adverse event, nivolumab could be added back and that was compared to f- just four cycles of platinum-based chemo plus or minus maintenance pembrolizumab at the investigator at the investigator's discretion if they had non-squamous disease. Um, you know, in the community, six cycles is, is common. Um, so this was uh, 719 patients. Uh, a little over half were PD-L1 positive, uh, and about you know uh, 60 plus percent were non-squamous. Kind of you know what you would expect for this this patient population. Now the approval in the package insert uh, is from a pre-interim efficacy analysis uh, that showed a median overall survival in the chemo two plus nevo ipi arm of 14.1 months compared to 10.7 months in the chemo times four cycles uh, with chemo by itself. Uh, it's a hazard ratio of 0.69, confidence interval 0.55 to 0.87, with a p-value of three zeros and then a six 0.00006. Three zeros between the decimal and the six. Uh, Median PFS was also statistically significantly improved uh, with chemo two plus immunotherapy 6.8 versus five months over objective response rate overall 38% versus 25% also statistically significant and median duration of response 10 months versus 5.1 months. So doubling of the duration of response. Uh, Grade three or four toxicity 47% with the four drug therapy up front versus 38% with just chemo. Um, And when you look in the package answer, again, this has not been published yet in a peer-reviewed journal, so all we have is the PI and the abstract uh, from ASCO. Um, Now, that median overall survival hazard ratio and delta between median OS actually improved with another four months of follow-up. After that interim efficacy analysis, the hazard ratio went from 0.69 to 0.66. So that is good. Median overall survival changed to 5.6 months versus 10.9 months. So the chemo group did a little bit better with some more follow-up as far as median OS, more patients uh, being followed, uh, but so did the chemo and immunotherapy group by a little bit better. Um, Now, you know, I kind of... Uh, mentioned this last week that immunotherapy by itself in the general patient population, so not not the, the high PD-L1, you know, more than 50% that we know about with pembrolizumab, uh, that I would I k- I kind of favor chemo with immunotherapy up front for these patients based on the fact that, um, you know, those folks who did not get chemo or some patients who did not get chemo uh, did poor really well and progressed. Um uh, when you look at the, the, the progression free survival curves crossing numbers, so I always think there's probably going to be a role for chemo upfront for patients with this disease who can tolerate it. Uh, that being said, we haven't seen the progression free survival curve for this. Only the overall survival Kappa-Meier curves are shown in um, in the PI. So hopefully, that I'll, I'll see that on someone's Twitter feed uh, uh, during ASCO. So that's one thing I'm looking for. And then, of course, the other thing is going to be the PDL1 subgroup analysis. They were stratified by PDL1. Uh, status uh, less than or greater than one percent, so we should have equal numbers in both arms. Uh, so we should be able to see, you know, if there is an exaggerated benefit. So this overall survival benefit, in other words, if it's driven largely by that PDL1 positive subset, uh, my guess would be there's probably benefit to both. Otherwise, the FDA approval. Uh, would not be for all patients. It would be restricted just to PD-L1 positive, as is the IPI and NEVO-alone approval based on Checkmate 227. Uh, and then, of course, the big question is going to be, uh, is chemo-2 plus immunotherapy better than Pembro plus immunotherapy? And we need that study. I don't know that the pharmaceutical in- industry is going to uh, sponsor that study or, and pay a PI, but certainly uh, you know a cooperative group should do that study. Um, in the line of what we saw with RX with breast cancer, um, especially a lot of our major breast cancer and colon cancer studies uh, were done that way. So I, for one, certainly hope that we will see a cooperative group study comparing those two different immunotherapy plus chemo approaches. Uh, now, lastly, uh, just want to end with uh, kind of a case report of note. One of the questions that often comes up uh, if when you're dealing with all these receptor tyrosine kinase inhibitors and diseases that spread to the brain is, uh, how do we know if this tyrosine kinase inhibitor has activity against disease in the brain? Uh, and in other words, does it cross the blood-brain barrier? And we can get some clues from the PI with regards to the volume distribution. Uh, you can look at the, the structure and kind of get a gauge of its lipophil- lipophilicity. Sometimes there'll be a log p-value that can be helpful if you stretch way back into your MedChem. Uh, but ideally, what we'd like to see, uh, oh, and you could also every now and then you'll get some some ratio of, of CNS concentration to blood concentration. But what you'd really like to see uh, is some clinical study of this. I uh, know, this is just a case report. It's four patients with apelacyb and PI3. Uh, PIK3CA-mutated breast cancer. Um, but it is, it is you know, it's, it's a case report, so there might be, uh, you know, these four patients who did well on apelosib with CNS disease, either they had regression or stabilization of their, their CNS mets with apelosib, there might be 100, 150, or 1,000 more of these cases that were not published to patients who got apelosib, uh, and their disease just uh, went weren't wild. Uh, but it is something maybe to be aware of if you're working primarily in a breast clinic or with a lot of oral chemo. Uh, if you're trying to justify a PELICIB or, or asked, uh, does it have any activity in CNS? We do have a couple case reports. There's a publication you can look back on and that's published uh, just yesterday, May 27th in uh, Journal of Clinical Oncology, Precision Oncology. JCO Precision is where you would find that. Well, I would expect a little bit longer pod next week, so let's just stop now. It's a beautiful day here uh, in uh, in East Tennessee. I hope you're all doing well during... Uh you know, the, the quarantine and, and with COVID-19. Uh, and until I talk to you again, remember. Oh, you can follow me on Twitter at PharmDietnib. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Uncle Farm Pod. Feel free to reach out if you've got a question or comment or an idea for a future episode. Uh, i got a couple exciting things coming up down the road. Uh, and again, until I talk to you, um, you know, further, doses matter.